You're listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2212 South Broad Street. For more information, check out circleofhope.net or join us in person on Sunday evenings at 5 and 7 p.m. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Mary Warbucher. So Rachel invited me to talk. I recently went on a trip with uh, MCC to on their Borderlands tour. And uh, they, uh, MCC, for those of you who don't know, is the Mennonite Central Committee. Uh, They um, work with and sponsor relief and development projects and work um, all over the world, including in the United States, Uh, even right here in Philadelphia. Our thrift stores, all their profits go to MCC. So I got a chance to go to southern Arizona and northern Mexico uh, for about a week to see what they're, some of the projects that they're sponsoring there. Um, so I just wanted to talk a little bit about that, um, and then there is time for talk back. I didn't realize that during the first meeting, um, so I'm happy to do that now if you've got, not now, but later. Uh, if you have questions after I'm done talking, um, I can share what I know, um, and if I don't know, um, give me your email and I could find some good resources for you. Um, MCC Washington. Uh, is a great place to look for um, any kind of information about immigration if you're interested in like statistics and current policies and laws that seem to change every other day. Um, it's kind of hard to keep up, so um, just wanted to throw that out there. So let me just get my little fancy pictures up. So this is uh, our group that I went with, mostly people from Pennsylvania and New York. We had one guy from Delaware, Keith. I don't know if you know him, Rachel. Um, And uh, we had a group uh, called Frontera del Cristo, um, which is a Presbyterian organization that works on both sides of the border, both in Douglas, Arizona, and Agua Prieta, Mexico. And this is in the area of the Sonoran Desert. Um, Beautiful place. Um, The Sonoran Desert covers about 100,000 square miles uh, in this part of the world. But it's also um, an extremely dangerous place for people who are migrating through. Um, And so we were learning about that as we we went along. Uh, The woman who's standing right next to the border wall here, this is the wall that marks the boundary between the United States and Mexico. Her name is Holka. She's not officially ordained in the Presbyterian Church because women can't be in her denomination in Mexico, but she should be. She is quite an amazing person. And we uh, went with her uh, as well as with uh, another man by the name of Mark. He's there energetically writing on that board um, where we're all kind of circling around doing a Bible study of sorts. Um, And uh, just to kind of learn about the situation and also to to meet a lot of the people who are working down there um, with migrants and with uh, immigration issues. So... uh, Why did I go? Uh, What was I doing there? That's like a question that I was getting both before and after my trip from all kinds of people, including my dad. God bless his soul. Love my dad. Um, He's like, you're going off again? I've been to a lot of places. And he's just like, oh, great. Going to to Arizona. He didn't realize I was staying in Mexico. He thought I was just kind of going to be staying for the day and buying like a little souvenir tchotchke or something. and then I, you know, he gets this email from me, you know, while I'm in Mexico. I'm like, oh, I'm in Mexico, yay! And he's like, be careful, you're gonna die. Um, I'm still here. Um, I'm like, it's okay, Dad. Um, I live in Philly. I live in Philly. You're worried about me being in Mexico. Come on. Um, it's not. It's not that bad. Anyway, 
Uh, so he, uh, yeah, it was it was good. So why did I go? Um, wh one of the main reasons is because I have family and friends and neighbors who are immigrants, and the last couple years especially have been really, really hard for a lot of people with a lot of the political things that are going on in our country um, that have affected people uh, in terms of them worrying about their status um, and also people basically being afraid of being put in jail uh, and being deported and, and separated from their families. So that was that was one thing I wanted to go, just to kind of see at least migration happening in this part of the world um, and kind of to try to connect the dots to some of the people that I know here. I also uh, lead with Bell Alvarez, the Solidarity Beyond Borders Compassion Team here with Circle, where we do immigration advocacy uh, in our community with uh, other immigration groups in the, in the city. So if it's something that you want to get involved with, um, let me know. Um, we keep building our team to more and more people, which is awesome. Uh, and I am also um, doing my uh, PhD work in um, migration and humanitarian issues. So it was, you know, it's a hard trip, but it's also like a nerd trip, too, for me. Um, totally, like, geeking out, like, the whole time, which is not right, probably, you know, because it's, like, really real hard stuff, but then there were times where they would... You know, they put some thing out there and be like, wow, I have to write about that someday. And yeah, like rain it in, Mary. Okay. So let me, uh, let me talk a little bit about migration. Um, one uh, way to kind of define migration, and I, don't worry, I'm not going to like sit here and torture you with like academic definitions, but you should at least know what it means. Well, later if you want, okay? Um, is that uh, migration is just simply the movement of a person People even use it for animals, I mean, plants, even seeds, but, but we're talking about human migration here, uh, of from one place to another. Um, and we're not talking like moving from 15th Street to like 13th Street, you know, two blocks away, or going from like Fishtown to like Fairmount or Northern Liberties. We're talking like moving to from one place to a very different environment, um, especially a different cultural environment, often with like language, differences, housing, habitat, food. So um, people who are migrating are making substantial changes in their life, and it's a really difficult experience. Um, migration is a normal experience. That's something that I think, you know, when you go from here, if you don't remember anything else I said, this is really important. Um, a lot of the things that we're hearing in the news lately make migration seem like it's automatically linked to being a criminal. Uh, and I'm here to tell you that that's not necessarily the case. Uh, just simply moving and migrating is a very ancient human practice. People have been doing this for thousands of years. None of us would be here if someone hadn't migrated uh, at one point or another. Maybe you, um, perhaps, did this yourself. So, um, you know, migration that's happening into our country, especially across the U.S.-Mexico border, is only one small slice of this tiny experience of human migration, um, which is which is really like central to the human experience in human history. Getting like more biblical uh, in the Bible, Moses uh, and the Hebrews migrated out of Egypt uh, into what is now Israel. The story of Ruth is all about migration uh, as well. And Jesus as a child uh, migrated back and forth between Egypt. So that's that's in the Bible. I'm not making this up for those of you who think I might be. You don't think I am. It's okay. So uh, one more thing to add to that as far as biblical information or biblical ideas about migration. 
it's not just that it's normal that people are moving, but that there's a lot of teaching and a lot of uh, commandment even about how we should be receiving people who are moving around uh, and coming into our communities. Uh, the phrase, welcome the stranger, appears 36 times in the Bible. Um, and there are many, many other passages that have uh, admonitions to be hospitable and to welcome new people who are coming in. Uh, so really, uh, really important to keep in mind. Um, why do people migrate? Uh, one real big reason why a lot of people are coming to the United States, for example, is because they don't feel safe uh, where they live. Um, there may be violence, uh, even wars happening. Um, they might be um, experience this because they're part of a particular religion or um, ethnic or cultural group. There's a lot of different reasons why people are coming. Um, another reason is economics. Uh, people just simply are not making enough money to survive. Um, they're not able to send their kids to school in some cases. Uh, and then uh, in addition to that, there's of course related to that are food and housing security issues. So people aren't just deciding to get up and move because they want to come to the United States and be a criminal and make everybody scared. Um, or they're not like hippies backpacking through Europe, you know, seeing different cities and like mooching off of hostels or something like that. This is a really different situation where you have people who are leaving because they're worried about their lives and they're worried about their children. Um, and many of them too want to reunite with family who have already left. Uh, might be separated from grandparents, um, brothers, sisters, children, mothers, fathers, and, and on and on. Um, currently, there are 70 million people who are displaced internationally. That's a lot of people. That's the number that they've recorded. I think it's actually probably higher, um, but that's, that's the latest number. Uh, and many people um, who fit this kind of description have ended up in our city here in Philadelphia um, at one point or another or have ended up settling here. And South Philadelphia currently is one of those places where we have a very vibrant immigrant community where we've received a lot of people who have, who have come from, from pretty much everywhere you can think of. So in terms of like coming back to the borderlands here, um, people have been coming here across the US-Mexico border um, for all of these reasons, um, not simply because somebody thought it might be a good idea or you know a fun way to have a, an extended vacation. It's a pretty serious decision and it's a serious situation. You just don't get up and leave home um, and then don't go back um, if it's something that you're taking lightly. In Mexico and countries in Central America in particular, Honduras actually is a place that's having some pretty intense migrant uh, movement at, at present. There's a lot of economic insecurity. Um, farmers are losing their land due to trade and international policy. Uh, and there's a lot of violence from drug cartels that's popping up uh, in different places. I was told uh, in Agua Prieta, which is actually the place where I'm, we're sitting here is in Agua Prieta, uh, they told us it was pretty safe because there was only one drug cartel that controlled the whole town. Um, instead of competing factions uh, where there would be more people getting killed and so forth. So, you know, lest we think that things are different here, again, it's Philly. We probably have competing drug organizations here too. Um, so it felt very much like, it wasn't the same, but like when I went there, I really felt like, oh, yeah, you know, these are definitely, you know, even though we're in very different situations, these are people that I can really relate to with a lot of the things that, you know, people are experiencing. Um, so, but, you know, it, I think the other 
part of the trip is that there was a lot of hope expressed and there were a lot of really great people who were working with, you know, in the spirit of Jesus and with Jesus in this, in the midst of this situation. Um, I mentioned at the 5 p.m., like they are kind of like the helpers. I don't know if you've watched Mr. Rogers ever or read his book or biography or whatever. Anyway, Mr. Rogers, anybody? Okay. Still don't think. Okay, good. Uh, well, I think, I think it was his mother, actually, that said to him, you know, one day he was having a bad day, and his mom said to him, uh, you know, yes, it's bad, but look for the helpers. There, you will always find them in every bad situation. And that's exactly what's happening here. Holka and Mark, definitely helpers. Um, amazing people. Um, as well as this couple here. Um, and I can't remember their names, which is terrible, but I met probably about 150 people in a week, so I can't remember everybody, but uh, they uh, had us for dinner in their home, and they live in Agua Prieta, just normal people, just have regular jobs during the day, but uh, they're known in the community um, by people passing through who are migrating um, as a place to stop and eat and stay overnight, and they do this informally out of their own. Their own nobody supports them financially with this, as far as I know. They just do this out of their own spirit of hospitality and generosity, and they're not making a lot of money. So I think that should tell us something. You know, they really, they're taking a lot of risk on themselves, and they have a, a young child. Um, she's really adorable. Cute dog, too, named Orejas, means ears, because he had like these big ears. Um, but they, they, as just a regular family, um, decided to answer the call of God and do this. Um, really, really impressed me. Another place that operates pretty much on a shoestring budget is this uh, drug rehab center in Agua Prieta called Creda. And um, you can see in the front some of the leaders of that organization are kind of talking to us all about what they're doing. But they serve as both a residential but also occupational place um, for people who are struggling with drug and alcohol addiction to come and, um, and basically just to get help. Um, and they do actually model a lot of what they do off of the 12 Steps program. You can see it says uh, the Pasos there, 12, 12 Pasos. I'm like, my Spanish is failing me. But this basically says that the program uh, of 12 Steps is not to open, it's not, it's not in order to open the doors of heaven uh, in order to enter in, but uh, for us to open the doors of hell so that we, are, we can get out. So they have a really, very much a very a deeply spiritual understanding of what they're doing there in this work. Um, and then they also employ people at this coffee shop, um, which is also supported by Frontera del Cristo, the organization that Mark and Hoka work for, um, where people who are participating in this drug rehab center go and they work uh, in the coffee shop and actually, you know, they have a place of employment and earn money. Stuff there is so delicious. Um, had to watch how much money I was spending, but still, you know, like when you go to a place like this, you want to spend money because you know you're supporting a good, a good cause. And the coffee that they serve in this place comes is directly sourced from Mexican coffee growers in Chiapas, which is in southern Mexico. And the growers themselves deal directly with the store, so they make more money. They don't have to go through a middle person who kind of takes some of the payment in between. So this is, and they roasted it right there. We sat in the room, and they had a coffee roaster, and it showed us pouring the beans in and roasting the coffee. It was just, I don't even like coffee. You know, it smelled so good. It made me want to drink coffee, but I, I brought a big bag back for my husband who drinks a lot, so he was happy. 
So these are these are some of the places that you know we went and we saw you know helpers. Um, just one more here. That's more of the wall. We'll come back to this. I realized after I started the five that my slides are all out of order, um, which is really tragic, right? No, it's not. Um, this was this uh, migrant shelter, um, and there were many other places we went, but this is just one more that I want to higher highlight called Centro de, de Atención al Migrante Exodus, or CAME, basically a migrant care center, and they received anybody who came through their doors, um, migrant families, people traveling on their own. Some had come from other parts of Mexico or Central or South America, uh, and some uh, had recently been deported from the United States um, and stopped here on their way through to try to figure out what they were gonna do next. Um, and so we were able to uh, meet with uh, have dinner with some families that happened to be staying there at that time and hear their stories. They were really hopeful. We were all thinking, are you crazy? We didn't say that, um, just because we know how difficult it is to cross, and then once you get here, how difficult it is. But their sense of hope, you know, even in the midst of everything that was going on, was really encouraged me, because why not have hope? I mean, we're going to sing later. Um, I'm giving you a prophecy here. We're going to sing later about having faith this, the size of a the seed, seed of a mustard, size of a mustard seed, which is really small. And they had more than that. And, you know, we think about ourselves and sometimes how hopeless we feel, but we have, we have a lot to be thankful for. Not that nothing can ever be wrong, but it's, it's good to keep things in perspective sometimes. Um, when people who have almost nothing can still be hopeful, um, that should say something to us. And a lot of that hope, I think, comes from very much a spiritual place for many people. Not everybody is religious or spiritual or Christian or anything like that. Um, but for many people coming through, um, culturally, you know, Jesus is somebody who's a very real and present person who struggles with you. Um, and this mural that was in the Migrant Center, I think, really illustrates that. You can see Jesus riding on top the train with migrants who are traveling. That's actually a pretty common experience in some parts of Mexico and Central America. And uh, he's right there with them. Um, and I think, you know, like if we were to read the stories of Jesus in the Gospels with those eyes, it would probably change how we would read stories like Jesus traveling in the wilderness and uh, some of the other experiences that he had uh, and the suffering that he um, encountered during his lifetime. So, yes, yeah, so we met a lot of migrants. Um, I used my very basic and horrible Spanish. Um, at one point, I was talking to this one man, and it became really clear that he spoke English, too. And I was like, oh, thank God, we can have a conversation. And it turned out that he had actually been in the United States for 20 years, uh, and he had been deported recently um, and had a wife and a, a son um, back home um, and was wondering how he was going to be getting back. Um, we met another person who had recently been, been widowed, a very young woman with a baby whose husband had been murdered by drug cartels just, you know, three days before she came to the center. So, um, and that wasn't an unusual story. So a lot of people really have some, some incredibly difficult uh, stories that are happening. Um, for those who decide to cross, and that's not everybody who's migrating. Some people do end up staying in Mexico or going home, but... Um, they have to cross the wall, and they have to go through, um, in this part of the country, um, the Sonoran Desert. And uh, we had a chance to walk along one of the migrant trails that was used more frequently 
about 20 years ago, but still people come through this way, um, where we had a chance to kind of experience what it's like to walk along one of these paths. That's me in the purple backpack in the middle, walking along, sweating. It was pretty great, though. I loved it. Um, still, you know, pretty intense. Uh, and that's the border wall along the top there. I don't know if you can see it. What numbering I got? Right there. And then the mountains uh, in the back. Um, and we were led by somebody who used to be a former coyote. He was a guide, meaning that people would pay him uh, and they would travel in groups to take these trails and then travel across the into the um, the desert there and get past all the cameras and motion detectors and so forth. And I was talking to Katie earlier, uh, just before we started the seven, and I don't know how this came up, but it used to be, so most people who cross the border here where this wall is uh, do pay a guide because it's really dangerous. Um, couple hundred people at least have died on the U.S. side in the desert just in the past year, just from not having enough water or getting killed by drug dealers and things like that. So it's a pretty dangerous experience. Um, and I was told while I was there that the price, you know, about maybe 15 or 20 years ago was about $800 or so. And the current price right now, just because the risk is so high with a lot of our changing laws and just methods of incarceration and so forth is now up to $10,000 in this particular region. And that's for one person. So if you were going to try to cross with a guide, family of four, for example, that would be $40,000. Uh, so there's a lot happening now. And then people are still paying this um, in some cases. But that's, you know, in addition to the border wall, in addition to, you know, the, the dangers that are here, um, that is probably the biggest deterrent as far as crossing. Um, and in fact, the wall really isn't much of a deterrent because I think um, successful crossings, I'm not sure about, but um, we have, we still have a very high number of people attempting to cross the border, um, both here and then also, of course, at the border with Texas, um, where there may not be a wall, there might be the river. Um, so people are taking really great risks to try to do this. Um, sometimes they make it across and Border Patrol, where's that guy? There he is. Uh, meets them uh, and then takes them to kind of a processing center, a.k.a. a short-term jail, um, where people can decide what they're going to do. Uh, sometimes they're deported and sometimes they choose to stay um, and see if they can get a, a refugee or asylum hearing. Um, and that whole process is really complicated and seems like it changes every other week um, with our current um, government administration. Um, or... Um, I think I said this already, or they may just take you back across immediately. Now, however, if you've tried to cross before, um, you, may, uh, you may have a criminal record just from crossing. Um, within the last two years, the law has been changed where the act of just crossing across the boundary in an unauthorized fashion um, is a misdemeanor. And so there are people that actually have tried to cross more than once, not realizing that they have the criminal record. They get picked up by Border Patrol and then they end up waiting in jail until basically somebody decides to hand down a sentence um, and they may, may even be there more than a few years. We had met somebody who I think had spent five years in jail just from crossing more than once. And there may be some other things involved with his story too. Um, but there's, anyway, the risks are really high. It's very dangerous. 
the desert is extremely dangerous. It's beautiful, but it's dangerous. And the way that the wall is designed is that they so they make it really huge and high around the towns and cities, uh, and then it goes and becomes a lot shorter um, as you get at least 10 or 15 miles or so away from the nearest town or city in the United States. And so then what it does is it forces people to try to, like, want to cross. They can't get over this in most cases. Uh, so that oftentimes they'll go around to the shorter sections, which are more like cattle fences, uh, and then they'll hop over, but then they'll be really far away from help um, and from people. Um, it's really remote. It's not like Philly. There's no Wawa. There's nothing, okay? Uh, and, you know, that's where, you know, people end up taking the biggest risks because they can't, um, they can't get to where they need to go in time, um, assuming they're not picked up by Border Patrol first because there's all these cameras and motion sensors even in the desert in some of these places. So we've basically created a situation here where we're killing people on purpose um, to try to deter um, migrants from crossing. Um, and I, I don't know about you, but that seems like pretty problematic situation to say the least. Anyway, so there are a lot of people in our city, there are people in our neighborhood here who have taken this trip, uh, either through Texas um, or through the southern, southwestern states and have done so at a pretty high risk to themselves and to their, their loved ones. One of the really interesting parts of our trip was having actually meeting with the Border Patrol agent himself. That's me with a weird look on my face. I don't know what I'm thinking in that picture, but like we actually had lunch with him, and I can't remember his name either. This really sucks. I actually, no, Jim. His name was Jim. Yes, got one. All right. Um, so we are there with Jim, um, and uh, he was a pretty nice guy. He'd worked for Border Patrol for about eight eight years, um, and he was telling us about his job and some of the things that he does. Um, he says that he carries food in his car, as do some of his friends all the time, because a lot of the people that they pick up are hungry. So I think he was trying to put kind of a more human face on what they do. And um, he also mentioned that Border Patrol is really one of the only jobs that people can get in this area that really pays anything, because it's a, it's a pretty economically depressed area. Um, there's not really, Tucson is probably the closest major city, and it's about three hours north of here. And uh, yeah, I mean, he's just a regular guy. So it's, it, you just get the sense that there are a lot of people caught up in this system that, you know, Jim can make his own choices, obviously. Um, but that do things because they think they need, you know, they feel like they need to do it um, in order to survive. And Jim is not in the same situation, obviously, as somebody who's trying to figure out where to go next, who's getting know, it's feeling like they're, they can't go home and are running away from violence and so forth. But Jim actually himself moved to Arizona from Texas because he heard that there were jobs there with Border Patrol. Um, he didn't feel like he could get a good job where he, he was from. So I think, you know, the way that the infrastructure works is just a lot of people get sucked up into this. And it's tempting to demonize people who may just be kind of functioning how they do it, you know, in terms of doing what they do best. You know, I'm thinking about even just our prison system here and people who work as prison guards in really rural communities, especially in like Pennsylvania and stuff. And I, I don't, again, I don't want to justify some of these choices necessarily, but I think people are just trying to do what they have to do in some cases. So he was, he was an interesting guy. Um, and I appreciated that MCC 
let us have conversations with everybody. I think it's important to do that when we're, you know, in our lives and we're working towards reconciliation, um, not just to, you know, paint people as the devil who we don't know, whether they be migrants or whether they be working for Border Patrol. So, so yeah, he didn't really seem to know much about what happens after he picked up his the people who crossed. Um, there is a lot that happens in the United States where increasingly migrants are being held in um, privately run prisons, um, basically meaning that companies are running these for profit and are making money off of holding people in jail. And they're also profiting off of the system that people have to go through to process their immigration requests. So there are often multi-step processes that people have to go through. Even people who have come with um, recognized, officially recognized visas, um, where you will end up having to pay at this point thousands of dollars just to get your, your, um, your different application steps processed. One piece of your application could cost you $1,000. Um, I'm not making this up. So for example, um, some of you have heard about DACA, um, children who were brought here with their parents um, as when they were really young, um, uh, not under any type of official visa or anything, and they basically don't have legal citizenship at this point. In order to process DACA, meaning Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, their you know, permission to stay here without getting arrested or deported, they have to pay $500 um, for that application. Uh, and for some kids that's and families, that's way too much, especially if you have like two brothers and sisters who also fall under that category. So it can be really, really um, problematic for a lot of people. So I guess in some, you know, I, I want you to know that this isn't a faraway problem. Like, we, I think, a lot of us in this room can separate ourselves because we don't necessarily have to deal with this personally every day. But, you know, a lot of our immigrant neighbors especially are experiencing a lot of stress right now. Um, and it's incredibly difficult for them. Um, it's a really fearful time. As I mentioned, laws seem to be changing every other day regarding um, supposedly who can stay and who can't and what people have to do. And I think immigrants are increasingly being portrayed as criminals, as people who are leeching off of public money, um, as taking away from everybody else, and this is simply not true. Crime rates among immigrants, especially first-generation immigrants, are really low. Uh, and you know, if you want to think about locally in Philadelphia, um, immigrant communities have done a lot to revitalize a lot of our neighborhoods here. Um, I've seen that. I know that for a fact. It's true of my own neighborhood where I live, just a couple blocks from here. So, you know, as far as what this has to do with us, I mean, I think Jesus asks us to express radical hospitality. And this means, I think, being willing to receive as well as being willing to give as well, especially when there's risk or uncomfortability involved or discomfort. So, like, you know, my little clickers by the elements here. Um, this juice that we're going to be taking is part of our communion would not be possible without immigrant or migrant labor, um, whether it be picking the grapes, uh, harvesting them, or even just processing them in a factory to make it into juice. A lot of what we eat is actually produced by migrant or immigrant labor, um, not just far away, but also locally as well. Um, and there are lots of processes involved in the making of this bread, the ingredients that involve migrant and immigrant labor as well. You know, whether we like it or not, our economic system works this way right now. And I think we need to appreciate and respect what people are giving us at, at just a really basic level.
um, often not being paid hardly anything um, for, for what they're doing. So just as kind of a way to conclude, um, let me go back to my wall here. Can everybody like see what's going on here? So this is the wall, but it's been painted with sky blue paint. Everybody get it? So it's like kind of like a door opening in the middle to open the gates. Um, this is on the Mexico side. Uh, the US Border Patrol doesn't like it, at least in this area, people putting murals on the US side. It's upsetting to them for some reason. I don't know why. Um, so like Frontera del Cristo likes to do a Stations of the Cross every Easter along the border wall where they walk two miles starting at like four o'clock in the morning. And they had marked their stations on the wall and the Border Patrol came actually and um, cleaned all of them off except for station 14 for some reason. And the stations weren't marked with like anything dramatic. It was just like the Roman numeral 14. Um, but apparently that was too much. Um, but on the other side, is a different story. There's tons and tons of murals, and this is just one of the more simple ones. And um, I think, you know, like when we look at this ugly wall here that's been put up, by the way, it's only six years old. It looks old, but it's not. Um, I think we need to think about what we create out of our own hearts that come into reality, um, not just kind of what we're thinking or feeling in a more abstract way, but what we're actually physically expressing um, ourselves. And people really create from what's inside of their hearts. You know, if you think about how an artist might paint a picture um, or make a sculpture or, you know, a movie director might make a movie that might have a certain feeling to it um, or write a poem. Um, they're expressing what's inside of themselves. And we often think about, like, oh, what, you know, what made them want to, to make this? What does this say about what the artist or what this person was feeling? So when we look at a wall like this, I think we have to be asking those questions about ourselves, not just about those people, but like this is really about all of us uh, and a chance to really think about ourselves too. And I think, you know, in our lives, you know, we have all kinds of borders and walls that we put up to protect us from people that we're scared of um, or that we're worried about. Uh, so just some questions to think about here, you know. And this is, you know, the first one, if you have a choice, some, some of us don't. You know, where are we choosing to live? Uh, who are we choosing to, to talk to? Who are we choosing not to talk to? That's probably even more important. Um, how do we talk? How are we choosing to define ourselves? If someone asks us who we are, what do we, what do we say about ourselves? When we see other people, are we, are, are we encountering other people with fear? Are we relating to people out of this mindset that there's not enough to go around, that we have scarcity, things are scarce? And, you know, as we ask these questions, you know, I would encourage you to kind of sit with the Holy Spirit with these questions, too. I think oftentimes, you know, there's a lot of, just a lot of, just a lot of talk and images and saturation and consumerist and racist stuff thrown at us all the time that is just constantly telling us to think about these things um, as a matter of personal choice and by you know what we want uh, and what makes us happy and comfortable and so forth. And I'm not, that's not always bad, okay? But I think like when we make, think about the way that we're living and we think about the choices that we're making, are we sitting with the Holy Spirit with these questions? You know, when you're thinking about your next apartment or your next place to live or whether you're gonna move or not or change jobs or 
you know, how you're relating to a person. I mean, let's sit and pray about these things, not just let these other forces lead us along. Because uh, believe me, they, they will do it um, if, we, if we let it. And where are we willing to take real risks? Um, a lot of these people helping migrants, especially on the U.S. side, not the Mexico side, but the U.S. side, are doing work that could potentially get them thrown into jail. Um, Mark actually told us a story. Um, he was the guy with his you know, animated coffee shop doing the picture thing in the beginning. He told us a story that he had given migrants who were walking along the road a ride into town one day. And then he was approached by Border Patrol two days later, and they basically told him that they saw everything that they did. They knew exactly where he was, what time it was. And they told him, you know, you might want to be careful about doing that. They had seen him with the cameras and stuff. And so he, he still gives rides, but he does so with the knowledge that they could, they could actually arrest him and he could actually go to prison for just giving somebody a ride along the road um, or sheltering somebody in his house or something like that. So, you know, what type of risks are we willing to take for, for the Lord? Because Mark is doing this very much because Jesus, he senses Jesus' presence there with him and that this is something that he, he, he should do. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.